You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 33. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Are you excited? Surprised? We've got multiple podcasts coming out in a matter of days from each other, which is, I know, a totally new phenomenon. Thank you for hanging out with me. It's been a lot of fun. I'm trying to batch a lot of these together. So it is Saturday afternoon, and this is what I'm doing. So for this episode, Sam Cooper and I, if you guys aren't familiar with Sam yet, I will link to her LinkedIn in the show notes so you can go creep her and get to know her a little bit better. But she is my partner in crime over at Inside Study Abroad these days. And Sam and I sat down a couple weeks ago, probably a few weeks ago by now, and we talked about the five biggest lessons we've learned in our career since we started in international education. So it's 10 total. Each of us talked about five lessons and gave some examples of some different scenarios we've been, we found ourselves in throughout our careers that really helped us really understand this lesson and and embody it, hopefully, in really positive ways in our career. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. It's very interesting. We sort of do a, a back and forth ping pong uh, episode here for you as well. And and some people chimed in with some lessons they have learned as well in the, in the chat. So you'll hear us reference those as well. Um, before I jump into the episode, though, don't forget the in- the Global Pro Institute is launching again in just a few weeks in about mid-September. So if you're not on the early bird list yet, just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash GPI and enter your email in on the wait list there and you will be first to know when enrollment opens. And we always love to give action takers a little bit of a, a benefit, a bonus, if you will. So you will get a discount if you join GPI during our early enrollment period, which is coming up just a few weeks. So I hope you'll join us there. And with that, let's go to the show. One of the things that we've noticed in working with students in the Global Pro Institute and just like the millions, it feels like, of uh, workshops and things that we've been on with people um, over the last few months is that, you know, everybody's kind of in a position, whether you are still employed or you've been furloughed or it's still precarious on the future of your, your role right now in the field. Um, we're all looking for ways that we can make ourselves a hot commodity uh, professionally so that we can become someone that everybody wants to work with and that maybe we're last um, on the chopping block, so to speak, or we're first, the first person people think of when they want to expand their team again. And so I think we wanted to talk about some lessons we've learned that you guys can hopefully take um, into your career um, and, and, and apply in meaningful ways to help you make sure that you are, you know, you're putting your best foot forward and you're, you know, having a career that you're really proud of and that you really want. Um, I do want to go over a few quick announcements and they're going to be extra quick now. Um, so in two weeks, we're going to have our next inside chat and our special guest will be Kate Moore, the amazing Kate Moore. And we may not do it on Crowdcast because they failed us today, but <laughs> I'll send out links to that as well. But you can register for it um, over on Crowdcast um, as well. Uh, but Kate's going to be talking about the future of global internships. If you guys don't know who Kate Moore is, where have you been? She's an international internships OG, and she's the founder of the Global Career Center. Um, she's formerly of 
formerly a part of CIEE, AIC, USA, where she and I and Sam and I all work together. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Kate Moore, fun fact, asked me the hardest interview question I've ever gotten. If you want to know what it is, ask me at the end. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she'll be coming on to talk all things international internships and sort of the future of, of that uh, subset of our, our field. And then Sam and I are also going to be doing some workshops over the next couple of months as well. Sam's going to do a, a training all about leveling up with LinkedIn for your career, your organization, your job search, and how you can really capitalize on that platform. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be doing a session all about leveraging social media to build a dynamic, strong, personal, and professional brand. And um, those are coming up July 29th, which is next week for the LinkedIn training and then the social media training will be later in August. And I'll be sending out emails with all of these details, but I just wanted to let you know those are coming up. And we just wrapped up GPI. So our summer cohort just finished up. Our interns are still cranking along, um, doing some amazing work in the field. Um, and we're going to be opening the doors for the fall cohort in September. So if you're curious about that, might want to get involved, um, make sure you're on our email list. Just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash GPI. And if you would love to host an amazing international education focused intern in your organization, please reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about how we can um, find an intern that could be a really good fit for your organization. And then the last thing that's kind of unrelated, my other business, my other day job um, over at Brazenest, I'm hosting a, a brand new workshop in my work from anywhere series uh, next week on how you can capitalize on your skills and experience to build an automated online business. And that's going to be next Wednesday. So um, you can go, I don't know where to go. Brazenest.com slash masterclass should get you there. All right. Enough announcements. Let's get into this. So Sam and I divvied this up. We've got five, um, five lessons each of us wanted to share. Um, and we're each probably going to have a little story kind of to back it up, to articulate, um, why this is an important lesson for us. Um, and, and all of you too, I, I said this last time, so I can't remember when I'm repeating myself, but you know, if you have other lessons and other advice that, you know, things that you've learned in your own career, please drop them in the chat. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, there's a million and one lessons we've all learned over the, the course of our lives. So uh, we'd love to hear other pieces of advice as well um, as we have this conversation. So I'm going to let Sam take yes. it away. Top tips. Yes. Sam's top tips um, in my career lessons. Uh, so this top tip comes from a colleague of mine, Catherine Hanley, who I used to work with at USA when we were doing university relations. Um, and she says it better because she has a little bit of a Tennessee accent, but, um, <laughs> always leave sugar in your tracks. I think this is some of the best advice I've ever received and really does, I think, um, help me out in my career, really in life in general, but my career always, we have a really small field. Most of you guys probably know this, um, really small, probably more like two or three de degrees of separation rather than six degrees of separation. Probably true in all fields, but especially I think in ours, it's important to remember that someone that you're working with, um, you might work with again, um, someone that you may have bumped into at a conference and had an interaction with, um, you might work with or interview with one day, 
Um, you might be interviewing someone that, and they might be interviewing you another day. Um, so I always feel like, even not even from a cynical point of view of um, do it just, just in case you need that person in the future, but it's just good practice, makes you feel good. Um, you want to be thought of as someone that's helpful, at least I do. Um, and I think just having that in your brain of leaving a little bit of sugar in your tracks with every interaction you have um, is helpful to people. So you can, um, you might be some help they need one day, but they also might be someone that you can turn to one day. Um, and unless you have that sort of kindness to fall back on, uh, I feel like um, then you don't really have that connection. So leave sugar in your tracks. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I would add to that, even though we promised yes, we wouldn't do this. <laughs> so uh, the only thing I would add that I think is even more important is that uh, like in, in, in conjunction with what you said is that especially in those moments of uh, contention or conflict or yeah. negative, uh, you know, like say you didn't get a job or um, you know, you, had a disgruntled partner, um, or there's a faculty member who, uh, you're just not jonesing with. <laughs> um, I had a lot of those faculty members. Uh, so, you know, figuring out ways that you can even leave those situations on a, as positive note as you can, um, is so, so valuable. I've yeah, not been always great I think at this. I've, well, and I've had negative interactions with people in the field that I, I remember. I don't yeah. really want to work with them or do business with them again, just because it was such a, a, a negative experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm fairly forgiving, so maybe not forever, but I, I think people do hold on to that. Um, and so, yes, that excellent clarification because I could have been more specific. No, I love um, it. I do think, you know, in those interviews, that's why follow-up emails and thank yous are really good, even if you don't get the job. Mm -hmm. um, leave sugar in your tracks. <laughs> yeah. Brooke, hit me with yours. All right. I love alliteration, so I tried to make these fun. So my first one is to slay with skills. <laughs> um, so I uh, got, I wish we had like sound to go with this because there's like a perfect song. Um, uh, <laughs> so so uh, what I mean by that is um, I think that in our field, especially right now, there's going to be a lot of really qualified candidates for specific jobs that might um, be coming available or even for contract roles and consulting roles. And, you know, a lot, there's a lot of people who have great experience that might find themselves, um, you know, for hire right now. And the only, one of the best ways you can differentiate yourself is to have real tangible skills, not just the soft skills, those are valuable, but have hard skills that you can bring to the table. So when people are looking at two very qualified applicants, if you can have sort of like a bonus of, of this, the stack of skills that you can um, bring to the table, that maybe they wouldn't have to outsource that that thing, um, to hire somebody else to do it, that you could have it as part of your role, um, or just uh, the knowledge of how to do that in your role. Um, I think that's a huge, huge differentiator. I know for me in my career that has helped me up level at each stage because I amassed skills that a lot of people, um, didn't have at the time. So examples would be, for instance, um, when I was hired at the University of South Dakota to run the study abroad office that didn't exist previously, um, they didn't have any infrastructure. They had nothing. You know, it was sort of like, 
my, I always tell people like that my first assignment when I start my first day was like, go to HR, do the paperwork. And also, can you go figure out how many students are abroad and who they are and where they are? They just had no idea. And so it was really, truly from the ground up. And one of the reasons that I became a top candidate for that role is because I had already built out an application system previously in a, in a one month consulting gig I had done for a small university. And I was kind of techie and I liked like jerry-rigging tech tools together. And so I came in and was able to talk about how this office has no budget. There's no line item for... Uh, you know, a software of any kind, but I, you know, I showcased how I could come in and, and establish, you know, a system and a digital system for free. And I'd already done it before. And I think that really helped me, you know, beat out people who had PhDs and other things because they were like, okay, she can hit the ground running from mm -hmm. the administrivia as Sam likes to call it. Um, <laughs> and, and really, um, move the needle there. So I feel that, um, your skill set, the things you actually know how to do are really going to help you, um, stand out in a, in a marketplace, especially right now where there's just a lot of really amazing candidates. And so if you mm -hmm. can, um, move the dial in, in your favor with skills, I highly recommend it. I'm a huge proponent of tech skills and strategy based skills. So, um, my philosophy is that every organization wants to grow their reach, revenue, and their impact. And if you can figure out skill sets that help an organization um, improve or increase those, those three elements or one of those elements, you will be a shining star, which leads me to my, one of my next ones. But, um, so I recommend Skillshare is a great place. That's affordable to go get, um, tech skills. Um, next year I'm launching the digital strategy Academy. So you, um, might want to be joining that where I'm going to be teaching a lot of valuable skills. So, um, really think about your skill set of what you can do, um, on the job. And I would add, we're not supposed to add, but I'm doing it. You know, find the skills that you're good at. It's okay if you're not good at all the skills. I would say double down on either discovering really where your strengths lie, um, or if you really know what they are, um, really purposely leaning into those skills and making sure that you're articulating those and how they can help somebody, mm -hmm. an organization, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that Absolutely. takes a long time. That takes yeah. time. All right, you're up. Me? Yeah. So me, it's me. Uh, tip number two. <laughs> um, behind every successful international educator, I truly believe there's a colleague that helped write an email. Um, I think especially in the time of, of COVID, um, where all of us were working overtime to get students home and to figure out what's going on. Um, I think this especially came to the forefront of my brain. Um, but really what I was thinking of is find your allies and find your mentors in the field that can help you get perspective um, and be an ally and be a mentor to those other ones. Um, it's always easier to give someone else advice, right? And sometimes you can't give your, yourself that advice. And so having a champion or someone that you can work together with, even if they're not in your office, um, I highly recommend using that support system. For me, um, Angela Manginelli, um, she is the woman that looks at all my emails and helps me make sure that I'm not saying something crazy, that I'm thinking of the different perspective, um, that, you know, I'm not, um, 
that I'm really thinking of the other person or the message that I want to get across. Um, she's my go-to email coach um, and always has been and hopefully always will be. Um, but, you know, find that person, again, doesn't have to be in your office. Don't, don't be restricted by who's around you um, or your current circumstances. Uh, um, again, just having that different perspective of someone else that can help you. I find this is helpful working with students. You know, if you're, have a, if you're really frustrated with a student, <laughs> well, this happens, right? We can admit this. And you write that email because you really want them to learn something, but you're in this space of you will learn this. Sometimes it's helpful to have someone that isn't as invested say, do you want to be right? Or do you, do you want to move this along? Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's where I think other people come in to say, have you thought about framing it this way? Oh, um, amen. To help you. Yeah. I would love for if you, uh, if you, this is making sense to you all, um, share in the chat if you have your uh, go-to person. You can drop their name, their initials, or just like a heck yes, I have my person. My person is Natalie Garrett. Then yes. and the typical mojo for me is like, does this sound too bitchy? And <laughs> then that's what I <laughs> have yeah. to say, like, uh, you know, because I'm just so like straight to the point. I know that about myself, and so I have to go back, add some emojis add some <laughs> exclamation <laughs> points, things like that. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so for me, the next one is the fortune is in the follow-up. And it may not necessarily be fortune. I mean, I just like alliteration again. So, <laughs> But one of the things I have, I, it still baffles me to this day, is that I have worked in university relations uh, with USA, where I worked for Sam. Um, I you know, obviously I worked at universities and had partner institutions around the world, provider organizations. Um, and then at GoAbroad, I worked with a lot of um, organizations, mostly providers and some larger universities. And would just like, if a lot of you probably can relate to this, but, um, you know, going to NAFSA and like having a meeting booked every like 15 minutes, <laughs> um, back to back to back. And um, I was always baffled how no one seemed to ever follow up, ever. Um, they'd spend all this time, money, energy, showing up to this pretty expensive conference, have this huge pavilion in some cases, and they spend so much time and energy to basically have the ability to sit face-to-face -face with someone and talk about program development or collaborations and um, whatever, all the things, and uh, never would hear from them. and. Uh, so I always made it a point after every event or every conference where if I collected somebody's uh, business card or I had a meeting with them, you bet I followed up. Even if technically there was nothing truly like I had to follow up on, like here's the, the contract or whatever, I, I would still follow up and at least acknowledge like, hey, we met and we had a meaningful interaction of some kind and it was great to see you and I'd love to stay connected and, and doing some kind of follow up, whether, you know, connecting on LinkedIn with a message, with a message um, or an email follow up, et cetera. Um, and, and what I would say to that is, especially when you have specific objectives as a professional in an organization, um, it's not just that initial follow up. I think a lot of people think like, oh, and we're done now. Um, I think there is, it is really important to, to remember that people are busy and they have great intentions and they're not always going to be like, 
your email top of mind and it's okay to have a friendly nudge if you if you don't hear back um, especially if you talked about or um, had a had an interaction where there was supposed to be some forward movement and, and some kind of collaboration and um, I think that that is is key is that you need to follow up even when you it feels like oh I don't want to bother anyone is that you know, frankly, they'll just ignore you again if they don't want to hear from you. Um, but at least then it's kind of um, what Sam said about um, leaving sugar in your tracks. At least you are leaving it on a really positive note of saying, hey, um, it was great to connect. Just wanted to um, put this to the top of your inbox real quick or what have you and see if there's more we can collaborate on. And then at least you've left it open and nice there. Um, and so if they ever do like a search through their email and they see, oh, when was the last time I talked to Brooke? And they realize like, oh, it was six months ago and she emailed me twice and I never got back to her. Now they're going to probably feel like, yeah, I should probably take that call with Brooke. Because <laughs> 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 oh, I ignore it. Because again, it's a small field and most people, I would say 99% of people in our field are really nice people. They just got a lot going on. And so yeah. nobody's like intentionally going, ugh. Don't, don't yeah. talk to me. Um, and so I, I just think that there's real value in the follow-up. And I think it's just also a way of just showing some respect for other people, giving any of their time and attention to you um, through a meeting or some kind of interaction is just a follow-up and say, thank you. Mm. Good one. Thanks. Uh, it's me. It's me. <laughs> okay. I... Top tip number three, <laughs> um, choose your boss, Ooh. not the organization. And I'll say choose your boss when you can. So we're not all in the position sometimes of, of choosing the team that you work with. Um, but what I really mean by this is some of my most rewarding experiences have been because I just really wanted to work with that person. Um, more so, yes, the work's important, uh, but that was, it, it was an intentional choice to work with someone that I gelled with, um, that we understood, we, there was mutual respect. We worked maybe in complementary ways. So not necessarily in the same way, but complementary ways. Um, so a really good example of this uh, was a, a recent, well, two recent examples. Um, when I um, started working again with Tony Johnson at the Academic Internship Council that was a part of CIEE. Um, I, that was a clear decision of, I'd worked with him before, I'd always wanted to work with him again, and an opportunity came up. And the opportunity was important, but I wanted to work with Tony Johnson and Kate Moore. I wanted to work with them. Um, I wanted to learn from them. I liked their style. I knew that they'd be supportive. Um, so sometimes when making decisions, if you're interviewing at multiple places and you're looking and you're making that decision-making process of what you want to do, I really do encourage to think about choosing who you want to work with. You might not know them. Um, so most recently, um, well, Brooke, I wanted to work with Brooke. That was a no-brainer. So that was just like, of course I choose to work with Brooke. Um, but more recently, you know, I just started a new job at the University of Roehampton and mainly it's because my boss um, is super great and a badass and I wanted to work with her and learn from her. Um, and that was a big decision making process for me. I get you can't always do that, um, but I do think when you can think about the team and what you can learn from the other person um, rather than all the other factors that might be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just to just have the love fest continue here. Um, <laughs> I will say a great example for me where this was 
a thing that I did, um, you know, that first, not the first, the second time I was trying to get a job in international ed or back in the early days, I got a couple of different job offers. One was at USA working with Sam, Kate Moore, Catherine Hanley, Tony Johnson, Samantha Barrett, <laughs> like some, some amazing humans. Team. Um, yeah, team. exactly. And, and, the, but I didn't know them yet. I didn't know technically, but I, I, through the interview process, obviously I got to know you and especially the type of work I was going to get to do. And just seeing, you know, Sam and Kate in their element, I was like, Oh God, I want to be like them when I grow up. And, uh, you know, the, and then I got another job offer in that was a more traditional, like kind of environment. It was at a top, you know, uh, university in a study abroad office, very traditional role. Um, but I felt like, okay, the dynamic and the, the mojo in this office just wasn't as exciting for me. And so while I didn't know yet that these individual people would be super um, amazing to work with, th there was definitely that sense of like innovation and forward momentum. Whereas the, the other one, I got more of like, okay, we have a system and we need somebody to like make the system churn. Um, and I'm, I'm, I love systems, but I like creating them and then moving on to the next thing. So, um, so yeah, so I think that uh, that is a really great point and I'm so happy I made that choice. And I was told at the time that I was making the biggest mistake of my career and I, I, proved that wrong in every way. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, the next one for me is, um, to be a dream come true. And I, I talk about this a lot. I do a, a set, a keynote, uh, talk I call uh, how to be a rock star. And this is one of those core elements, I think of how to be exceptional in any field, um, or industry or career path you want to go on. Um, what I mean by this is that you know, people want to work with people who are problem solvers. They don't create more work. They don't create more challenges, more hurdles, uh, more animosity, more negativity. They want people who are like, okay, like, how do we move forward? What are the possibilities? How do we mitigate, you know, the negative thing that's happening right now, as opposed to like, woe is me. This is it. Um, also, you know, I think too, is that it's kind of going to lead to the, the the next thing I'm going to talk about after Sam, but, um, you know, it's also about like not creating more, um, responsibility and weight on other people that isn't necessary. And if you really want something, if you really want to move things forward is like, I think you have to be the person who, um, moves the ball down the field as far as you can take it before you absolutely have to hand it off. So one of the things I, I taught my staff <laughs> at go abroad, um, is that the, the example I'm going to share is that one time someone came into the off, you know, to our one-on-one, -on -one, um, meeting that week and wanted a raise. She wanted to talk about, she deserved a raise. And her argument was that I want to raise my, it's, you know, the cost of living is changing and, you know, I've worked here for a year. I feel like it's time, et cetera. Um, so basically I spent that whole hour coaching her on how to negotiate a raise 
so that the next week she could come back and actually carry the ball down the field for herself um, in a way that would make me go, okay. Cause I knew the argument technically. I was like, well, the way I would present it is like, tell me about how you've grown this for the organization. You've done this um, and, and what you've done for the organization that justifies you being rewarded more. Um, and she just didn't know that yet. Another instance, another, um, and then I started training all my staff on how to negotiate, which is like, you're not supposed to, I guess, are you supposed to do that for your own team? Like, this is how yeah. you're supposed to negotiate to me. <laughs> but I was like, well, I want you to know how to negotiate the rest of your career. Um, then, you know, another instance was uh, a staff member came to me and said, I want to go to this conference, like full stop. Um, can I go period and uh, using her professional development money for that and I said well the better way is for you to write up basically a proposal what is the conference what is the value that you're going to get out of this and then how are you going to um, translate that value into the work that you do for our organization um, because there's definitely it definitely tied in but basically she was making me work for it and I had to ask like well why is this going to help you be better at your job how is that going to help our bottom lines of reach, revenue, and impact, right? So all of those elements sort of had to go and say, okay, and then break down the cost for me. How much is it going to cost? What are the, you know, the extending um, uh, fees and things that, you know, from flights and hotels, et cetera. And then tell me how you're going to give me a 10x value from that cost. And um, that to me is a dream come true. And I'll let you guys know that like after that one person did that, and then I taught the whole team how to do that, I, they went off to go to some great or conferences outside of international ed specifically to learn some really important element and, and strategies and tactics and tools um, that we use for the organization that did have amazing ROI for the company. Um, but it really required them to do that upfront, carry the ball down the field, so that I can understand the value that it brought. So there's a lot of ways you can do that. But if you can just think like, how can I make getting to yes that much easier? And that will make you a dream come true. It's like, if I got an email proposal from somebody and it was like all these details, blah, 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 and this is how it's going to help the organization. It's so easy to say yes. Cause I'm like, yeah, I want all of those benefits and I want all of those results. And I want, you know, that much more money coming to the organization or, you know, that amazing social media strategy to be implemented with us, you know, whatever it is, it's like, yeah, I, I want those things. And so the more you can show people how what you want is valuable to them, um, the more, and then, and becoming that dream come true, the more you're likely to get yeses to those hard questions. Mm. That's it. Yes. <laughs> I think you're going to cover this. So I'm going to leave my comment, but, okay. um, I'm just saying that loud. So I remember everybody that's for me. <laughs> um, okay. This is uh, my next tip is around curiosity. So, um, be curious. Sounds really simple. It's some of the best advice I've ever had. And I have found it's helpful in two different ways. One in this idea of networking and relationship building, which I know can sometimes be a dirty word in international education. Um, but I have found that being curious, having um, maybe natural curiosity or, or sometimes just having to, to change my mindset um, has really helped me in the field. Um, but it's also helped me stay on track as a professional in my own learning of what other people do and how I can then effectively contribute to what we're all collectively trying to do, right? We're all here to help um, craft 
global citizens and hopefully change the world in, in some way. Um, but I also think the Be Curious has really helped me in sort of the day-to-day -day of working in our fields with students or even with um, colleagues when we're in conflict, which happens a lot. Um, the reason it's the best advice is, you know, when you're in that advising position and you might be saying the same thing over and over again to a student year after year, right? It's their first time going abroad, but it's your maybe millionth time talking about it, um, which is true. We get fatigue, right? We get fatigue in what we're talking about and there can be some frustration in that. Um, uh, a life coach actually said this to me, can you be curious about that person's journey or where they are? And the answer is, yeah, I probably can. And so sometimes just reminding myself to be curious has been helpful in just being a better human. <laughs> so maybe this is just a better human tip. Mm -hmm. um, but I've also found that it's helped me have maybe those difficult conversations um, in my career with colleagues, um, uh, with people I'm partnering with, um, really with anyone, where we might have some tension or there's some conflict or, or something, just maybe being curious about their perspective or really where they're coming from um, has one, helped me make it less personal, right? And so I can come up sort of with a, we can maybe come to some sort of collaboration or agreement. Um, but again, just remembering that we're all coming at this from with different perspectives, with different strengths, with different skills, um, with different things that we think are really important. And sometimes just that curiosity of, oh, I wonder what I'm missing here has for me been helpful um, in better understanding them, but also just, you know, taking the tension away and things like that. Is that helpful? I find that I, I'm a post-it note with that. Be curious. If I get stuck, <laughs> be curious. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, one of the things I have learned, I think very related to this and, um, and I'm going to talk about depression very quickly and I hope it's not triggering for anyone, but, um, you know, I'm trying to be very open about my struggle with depression because I want to normalize mental health, um, issues and challenges. And one of the things that in my counseling that's been really helpful is to, instead of like seeing the negative or experiencing the negative or the challenge, the hurdle, any synonym here, um, instead of being like, oh, like dwelling on that, internalizing it, um, identifying with it, um, as instead having the, the verbiage of like, isn't that interesting? Or like you say, isn't that curious? Um, and sort of like having it away from myself <laughs> in my case. Uh, and I think that that is like a great tool I've been trying to use more because I'm a very impassioned person and I can get very excited about a thing. And, you know, if I hit a roadblock or I hit a challenge, I can just be like, oh, like the world is hitting instead of saying, huh, that's curious that I'm having this challenge or that we had that roadblock. Hmm. Wonder what cause that wonder why this is happening how can we you know create a detour around it whatever um and having that curiosity and that um isn't that interesting 
um, sort of perspective on it uh, instead of being like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst person ever, um, at least in my case. So <laughs> um, yeah, I think that is such, such good advice. Um, I just want to make sure y'all are with us. Um, uh, if you want to let us know in the chat if any of this is resonating with you um, and if you have any of your own stories to share, we'd love to hear them. Um, so the last one, are we on the last one? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm, I have one more. Oh, right? you, uh, okay. So yeah. You have um, one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. 